Coming to you entirely pre-recorded from the Garage of Solitude, I'm Mario Francisco Robles. And I'm Brett Thomas Muro. Let's dance. And this is episode 148 of the Fanboy Podcast. Brett, what are you watching or playing this week? Excellent, excellent. So, a uh, little uh, update from last week. I mentioned a game I've been playing called yes. Death Store. I rolled credits on it um, yesterday. Oh my. And uh, I am happy to say that the game was delightful all the way through. It was really fun. And it does seem like there's actually a bit of end game content, which I think I may continue on and do. I enjoyed the game that much. It was very, very fun, uh, very challenging uh, at points with some of the boss fights, um, but uh, just a real fun time exploring and finding these little nooks and crannies and secrets. Uh, they, they do some really neat stuff with the, you know, kind of forced uh, isometric perspective uh, where like if you kind of explore, you might get around a little corner that like is not quite visible. And then the camera will kind of shift and you're like, oh, there's a little secret hallway over here. And, oh, I like that. Uh, See, it, that sort fun. of stuff, I'd be obsessed looking for things like that. Yeah. So it, it's very <laughs> cool. And it's a, it's a very pretty game. Uh, like I mentioned too, great soundtrack. But uh, yeah, it was uh, I had a real pain in the ass of that final boss. But hey, it was it was well worth it. It was fun. Um, and then apparently there's also like a special ending if I get all the stuff. And I was like, you know what? This one I might get actually all get all the things. It's, it's yeah. Honestly, there's really not much else coming out for the time being that I'm uh, like crazy jazzed about. So I might start digging into the backlog. So maybe I'll have some uh, some fun gems and uh, revisit some old classics in the coming weeks. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, I do also want to mention something I've been watching. Um I checked out the first episode a couple of weeks ago, but I finally got around to episodes two and three of Our Flag Means Death, which is on HBO oh, Max. Oh, yeah. Taika Waititi joint. Um, yeah. uh, he's also in it in, in a pretty prominent role. Um, and uh, yeah, you know what? The first episode I enjoyed, it was a little slow, but got like very fun towards the end. They're half hour episodes, so it's not too much of a, you know an investment, but uh, episodes two and three were really, really funny. Uh, they really uh, upped it. And uh, episode three, I think, had a couple of cool cameos. It had Fred Armisen from SNL and oh, Leslie nice. Jones, an all, yeah, another SNL what? alum. And it was, yeah, it was, it's really fun. So um, I think I'm going to continue on with it. I really enjoy the show a lot. It's uh so I yeah I would highly recommend checking that out. It's got it's the same uh, I think creative crew or at least some of the people from what we do in the shadows. So mm -hmm. if you watch that show or enjoy that on FX, um I think you'll be into this. It's not mockumentary style like The Office. Like what we do in the shadows is mockumentary style. Yeah. Uh, this is not like that, but um you know same kind of tone. So uh, I think you would enjoy it. Nice. All right. Well, what about you? Yeah, on my end, I'm still making my way through Better Call Saul on the watching end of things. But I did manage to sneak in a quick binge of a three-part true crime documentary series. I'm a, oh. I'm a sucker for those. Uh, I love anything that has to do with serial killers. I love anything that is immersive and brings me to back to some period in American history. And Netflix just so happens to have one called crime scene the Times square killer and i love it because it takes place in new york city in 1979 and 1980 and it's jam-packed with archival footage of new york city in That's that cool. era and i was born in 83 so it's a couple of years after but like i still very much recognize that city and i remember Times square when it was that way not like the disney-fied thing it is today right. so i i went down this quick three episode rabbit hole it's you know it, it's a short docuseries and i loved it if you're into true crime i strongly strongly recommend it's on netflix 
crime scene, the Times Square killer. It, they did an awesome job on that. Um, now, I'm not really playing anything new, but I did add something to my reading list uh -huh. since I've been trying to get through some graphic novels that have been on my shelf that are like these seminal works that I bought because I want to own all the seminal works, but haven't actually read them all yet. So get this. This is like, I, I told Bill from Batman on film, I was reading this today for the first time. And he was like mad at me that it took me this long, <laughs> but I read that I, I've begun Batman year one. Okay. Oh, have okay. you read Batman year one? I have read Batman. Okay. Year one. Yeah, yeah. See, so I think I'm the only person on earth who yeah. hasn't. And listen, I love Frank Miller. I love the Frank, uh, the, the, the dark Knight returns. I love a lot of his stuff. But I, I haven't checked out year one. And I know that this film is that book has been referred to as like a touchstone for not only the Christopher Nolan trilogy, but also the Matt Reeves, you know, the Batman that just came out. Right. So I had to see what all the fuss was about. What is it about this book that's so special? And I got to tell you, right away. I was pulled in like hardcore into this world. I love the 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 psychological sort of layers they give each of the characters. You can kind yeah. of see now how that really did lay the groundwork, you know, or the foundation for a lot of the more recent Batman exploration, sure. you know. And something interesting happened too, I should mention, that while I'm reading it in my head I've got Michael Giacchino Batman music playing. <laughs> and whenever I'm reading Bruce or Batman's voice, I have Battenson's voice stuck in my head. <laughs> so I feel like th that to me is the first sign that that adaptation has absolutely crossed over into right. like, this is just how I take in Batman stories now, you know? Right. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm watching Better Call Saul. I'm looking at the Times Square Killer and I'm reading Batman Year One. That's what my week of media consumption has been. And uh, I think let's go ahead and get into some news to discuss. Let's get into the Superman on film update for May yes. the 6th, 2022. Now, unfortunately, this update is going to be a lot more like the, some of our earlier ones where there wasn't a ton to say because there hasn't been anything new, so to speak, in terms of news or, or hot, crazy rumors. But something I just wanted to share, there's a tweet from, uh, from you know, Frosty from Collider, Stephen Weitrub. Are you familiar yes, yes, with him yes. at all? Yeah. So Frosty is like me. He's another avowed Superman fanatic who always seems to have his ear to the ground for anything related to Superman. And he was very much trying to find out Henry Cavill's future a few years back. You know, he's someone who's out there with, you know, beating the pavement, trying to find whatever he can about Superman. And he tweeted something a couple of days ago that I just want to share with you guys, because I feel some of this may some of this way too. But he says, if you know me, you know how much I love Superman. So when I saw WB Pictures chairman Toby Emmerich tonight, walked right up to him and asked about the next Superman movie. Won't say what he said to me since it might have been off the record, but progress is being made. So listen, there's no details there. You know, there's not a lot to go on, but if Frosty spoke to Emmerich, and he's basically pulling the my lips are sealed card, but something's happening. Something's happening. So that I have goosebumps thinking about right. that. I have literal goosebumps. I'm such a dork. But I'm like, something is coming. 
there's going to be news on a Superman movie soon. And I'm very excited for that. And the only other sort of like rumor Superman on film related that I wanted to bring up here before we go to our next topic is there have been some interesting murmurs that we might not. Oh, no, I, I should say we've heard that we might not see Henry Cavill Superman in the flesh, that we might see some archival footage of him on a TV screen. We've also heard that he might get retcons just completely entirely out of the continuity and have Supergirl take over. Um, there's an interesting thing that came up in the last, like, last few days about how we might see old school versions of these characters too. Like we're talking like when it comes to Batman, there's a shot at Adam West's Batman. But when it comes to Superman, there's people talking about we may very well see Christopher Reeves Superman in the Flash movie. Oh. So when it comes to all this multiverse stuff, when we see Barry going to all the different Earths and I guess maybe testing out his powers for the first time. Maybe it's in a quick sort of montage, I would imagine. But apparently it looks like we're going to bump into even the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. There's all these rumors of like vintage versions of these characters are going to be shown or glimpsed in some fashion in this Flash movie. And that to me is something like, I feel like I've been hearing little murmurs like that for years. I remember hearing something like three or four years ago. And at the time people thought it was going to be for one of the CW crossovers. But I remember hearing like three or four years ago that Warner Brothers was working on like an uncanny, perfect, photorealistic CG model of the Christopher Reeve Superman to use in some sort of upcoming media. So I wonder now if like if any of that was being done in anticipation of Flashpoint or what. But either way, like I've been hearing murmurs that we might see the Reeve Superman in a new DC thing for a while now. So I'm just really curious if that's going to happen. And I'm just curious, Brett, like how would you feel if they do find a way to work in like you see like the Adam West bats or you see the linda carter wonder woman or you see the christopher reeve superman does that does that like when you hear that does that excite you right away or does that make you go mm. well you know i mean i feel like that's like that's part of the fun like of having the flash and doing like a storyline like this where you're doing the multiverse like yeah if everything's going to be connected if you're going to bring michael keaton back then yeah i guess we should see glimpse of everything i'm curious i just hope they don't like over do it with like yeah. Christopher Reeve and they don't like, it's not too long of a lingering scene or something. Cause yeah. um, we've talked about before, like obviously I, they probably saw the success of bringing Luke back, you know, in the Mandalorian and stuff. Yeah. But I, I've expressed my concern. I'm like, okay, I've seen him twice now. Like, I don't know if I need to push him in there again. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Unless yeah, you're yeah. going to like totally recast the role. Yeah. And like, and, and he's that character, but with Christopher Reeve, you know, also like, it's different. Mark Hamill's still alive. Christopher Reeve, obviously, we know what, what happened with him. You know, the tragic accident, and then obviously he's no longer with us. So it it, it gives me like you know Tupac hologram Tupac vibes, which I'm like <laughs> I don't know. So you know, it's like I'm trepidatious. But again, that is the fun. Like if we're showing that all these things do exist in the continuity somehow, like they're they're you know parallel universes to everything. Have some fun with it. Give us a little yeah. fan service. So it's like, yes, but I'm trepidatious when you say the Christopher Reeve thing. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny you mentioned that, like, it, what you just said about seeing all that stuff, so to speak. 
Uh, Andy Muschietti said early on this thing about how this movie is going to establish that everything you've ever seen exists. And I feel like that almost is like a clue or like a hint of like, you know, we're going to go, we're going to be reaching back. It's not just Michael Keaton, you know, everything DC is actually somewhat canon with this movie because we're going to, we're going to basically, you know, we're going to reveal that it all, you know, all these different earths house all the different DC iterations that you've seen over the years, you know? And I just, listen, I'm with you. I hope that it's not hokey. I hope, first of all, I hope it looks great because if we're talking about like, if we're using those Luke cameos as some sort of uh, comparison, I felt like when he showed up at the end of Mandalorian season two, I hadn't, I don't think they quite nailed it. You know what I mean? To me, he still right. looked like a CG character. They got it now in Book of Boba Fett. I'm yes. like, that looks yeah. almost absolutely perfect. But that's the thing. Like, I if they're going to do this, it better look amazing. If they have it up there and I have, I have to do one of those. If it's like when Henry Cavill's mustache all over again in Justice League, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, are you really asking me to ignore how there's the uncanny works? valley? Yeah. You no. Know? Like, and that's the thing where you kind of like, feel like you're like, Oh, it looks a little off. I'm revolted. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and like yeah. I don't, I'm yeah. just, I don't want that. Cause then it, it does kind of, it kind of ruins it. Um, it I hope it's just like quick little glimpses. It could be really, yeah. it could be really fun where he's just kind of zipping through and there's like a quick thing and he's like, Oh, and they look at each other and then he just zips out, you know, like, yeah, you can have a little fun with that, but you know, it also could get a little Looney Tunes too. Right. So yeah. Hopefully they find the balance, you know. Hopefully they find that sweet balance and it doesn't just feel like they're using nostalgia as a crutch because that's the big thing, right? Right. But then again, that was my big concern with Spider-Man No Way Home and they ended up nailing it, you know, because when I heard those initial rumors about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and uh, Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus, I'm like... Oh, I hope that they do this justice, that it actually pays off. It means something to the, the, the current continuity. It pushes our main hero further along in his hero's journey. And is it just some kind of, hey, look, here are older versions of these characters you liked. Right. You know? So I hope that they handle it with, 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 with yeah. some thought and dignity and don't just try to cash in and make us go, oh, I remember him. And listen, um, there are those that I've seen very vocal people on online criticize No Way Home and say that, you know, without the nostalgia play, the movie's like really not that good and a mess. And I, I definitely fall in the camp where I really enjoyed it and loved it. But there yeah. are people that, yeah. that felt like they did kind of lean on the nostalgia crutch. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to, again, not going to pre- please everybody, but, yeah. you know, it, it's tricky when you're doing this stuff. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But, hey, I, like I said, I'm, I, I think overall as a fan, it's cool. Hopefully they do it well. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you right now, too. If I hear any bars of the John Williams Superman march mixed into this into the sound for this movie, and we have a really good-looking Reeve Superman on screen for a moment, I'm going to be a mess in the theater. So I hope you're ready to hold me close, Brett. The only thing I can hope for is that <laughs> the Flash zips in on the end of Superman 2. He sees that cellophane S and he goes... My Superman can't do that. And then he just zips right out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he catches it out of midair. Like, what the hell is this? And yeah, that's the right way to do it. That's the right yeah. way to do it. <laughs> that You know what? That, that wouldn't be half bad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, there you go, folks. That is your Superman on film update for the week. Uh, 
their progress is happening, according to Collider Frosty and his conversation with Toby Emmerich. And we might be seeing some old school versions of all of our heroes, including the iconic Christopher Reeve Superman in The Flash next year on June 23rd. Did I mention that's my birthday? All right. So now we're going to move on to our next bit of news. We're staying within the realm of the DC Universe. A few months back, uh, on the heels of the success of Peacemaker, James Gunn let it be known that he was working on a top secret other project, that it was going to be also a TV series for HBO Max. He alluded to the fact that it was also based on a character from the Suicide Squad. But this week, we finally found out what it is. Uh, James Gunn is currently executive producing an Amanda Waller TV series for HBO Max that will bring back Viola Davis in the iconic role that she has now played two different times. So um, so there's our big mystery there. When yeah. you found out about this, Brett, uh, were you happy to hear it was Amanda Waller? Or were you hoping it was like the weasel or polka dot man too or something? <laughs> I actually would have been really into Polka Dot Man because he kind of like stole that, the show from the movie for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was actually I wasn't I don't know why I wasn't thinking Amanda Waller, but I was thinking like a lot of people were thinking Ratcatcher. Yeah, uh, I was like I heard that one a lot. Um, but yeah, it's Amanda Waller, and I'm like, listen, as far as like the pedigree of actress you have in Viola Davis, that's pretty awesome that she was like mm -hmm. on board to do this. Um, you know, we did also previously get comments from James Gunn that it would probably not be as much of a comedy as Peacemaker. So yeah. this is going to be a different genre, a different tone. And uh, we do know, I think the only other detail we know is that it is going to continue off of where Amanda Waller was at the end of Peacemaker, which as we know, her daughter outed her as heading up Task Force X and uh, a lot of the shitty shit she does, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, on the, in the black ops, you know, a part of the government. So yeah, I think there's a lot of potential with the series. Like I said, the pedigree is top notch. Um, uh, I think there's also like a, a producer in, that was involved with the Watchmen series, which, um, oh yeah, I well, tremendous. That's what I was, yeah, that, that's what that's I was about to that, get yeah. to. Because aside from this not being a comedy, you know, being less comedic as James Gunn put it, um, there's a whole different sort of creative guard here because James Gunn is just executive producing, which is really one of those, you know, he's kind of hands off in a creative right. sense. The writer of the piece is actually a writer from the uh, HBO Max's Watchmen series, which I know you were a big fan of. Yeah. And I was too. That was, you know, and, and that fills me with hope. Her name is Crystal Henry. Crystal Henry is set to write and executive produce the series. So to me, that fills me with some hope that this is going to have, you know, you know me, I love my, my, my DC stuff, my superhero stuff that has yeah. something to say. And Watchmen definitely had something to say. And even Peacemaker in its own offbeat, quirky, comedic sort yeah. of way had sure something to say about America and society and patriotism and all that. So getting the writer from Watchmen, I think it bodes well for this project. I just wonder, like, you know, I, I but I at the same time, the, the flip side of that is I was a little bit bummed that Gunn is not writing and directing it. 
you know, because one of the things that made Peacemaker, I think, work so well is he wrote and directed. He was hands on for that series and in James Gunn, I trust. So when I heard he's only exec producing, I'm like, "Eh." but then I know he might come in and direct like an episode or something, though. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure even though it's a title thing, executive producer, I'm sure he will have his like little stamp you know, on this and, yeah. his, and his influence in there. I, I feel yeah. like uh, even when he's executive producing, I feel like his, his fingerprints are, are on things. Uh-huh. So. What's interesting about it too is, you know how Gunn has talked about the potential for cameos and DC sort of crossovers that he said that, you know, that Justice League cameo at the end of Peacemaker season one was really just kind of like the start of things that he's planning on bringing in other ones as long as they yeah. serve serve the story and all that you'd have to imagine that that also applies to this series and amanda waller is an interesting character because she has links to lots of other characters in the dc universe she's not just associated with the suicide squad you know in fact when we met her you know we see her not, not that we met her but at the end of that um suicide squad movies where we have her having a conversation with bruce wayne right right and I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like there are some other examples, but the point is Waller is a character that can branch out. So as we get into her world and the day-to-day life of this person, there's a chance that we're going to see her interact with some other major characters along the way. So I think that's kind of interesting too. I wonder how much it's going to interweave with whatever Peacemaker 2 ends up being. Since, right. you know, her daughter is a primary character on Peacemaker. Right. You know, is that character also going to cross over into this one? Is whatever happens here going to bleed into Peacemaker season two? Like, I have a feeling there's probably going to be some synergy here. So I'm Yeah, just- I feel like I tells, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, I yeah. think whatever happens here will kind of be like a, maybe like bridge a gap. Well, I mean, I don't know if this is just in development now. I feel like they might be further along with the Peacemaker 2 at this point. I mean, who knows? I don't yeah. know like, what the timeline is. So mm-hmm. I'd be curious if this does come in and bridges the gap between, or maybe they come out very close together and it's like yeah. more like a concurrent thing, you know? Yeah. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting stuff. I think they have a chance, you know, to really do, like we said, like a different genre here. Maybe it'll be like a political kind of like, you know, spy thriller or something like that. They could really go like a, a cool a cool angle with it. And then, yeah, bring in some characters. Maybe they introduce like a big like, – what if we get like, you know – not that he normally works with Suicide Squad, but like they bring in like a new Green Arrow or something or like they bring yeah. in like another hero and then like we find out, oh, they're doing a Green Arrow HBO Max series because now the CW one's done. So we can get Oliver Queen in there. You know, we can get another like rich playboy uh, superhero since we don't have, you know uh, – as of yet, aside from yeah. Eaton, we don't have like that, you know, kind of Batman-ish character. So that could be a, a cool way to do it and then give him an HBO Max series and really like branch it off. So I would love to see like, that. Like, I mean, imagine if, if through this, if through her recruiting for Task Force X, imagine if through this is how we get to see Joe Manganello's Deathstroke again. I was just thinking right. That. Yeah. Like imagine, you know, she brings him on because she hears about this mercenary criminal and whatever, and she wants to get him to be involved with them. And and that segues into his solo series. You know, I've always kind of said too that like the way to restore the Snyderverse isn't necessarily through making JL two and three, but it's through taking the characters from that world and now giving them new life, you know. So if we can finally get to see Joe Manganello's Deathstroke. 
in an HBO Max series that comes from the Amanda Waller series, you know, that would be pretty damn great. Yeah, so, there's a lot of potential with that just because, like you said, like she, she has connections to like, eh, like a lot yeah. of DC characters. So mm-hmm. I think that's smart. I think there's a very good reason why they are doing an Amanda Waller series. Yeah. Um, so I'm this very excited. Cool. Very excited. Now we're going to stay over in the Marvel frame of things because this weekend, the big movie opening up is a Marvel picture. Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness comes out at long last this weekend. And uh, before I get into some of the, the box office projections and how this film is, is poised to do this weekend. I'm just curious. Here we are. It opens tonight. How are you feeling about Dr. Strange? What is your internal hype level? Is it a movie you want to see? You're on the edge of your seat to do is it something you're going to watch out of obligation because you watch all the Marvel movies? Do you kind of not really give a crap at all? But, eh, you know, like where where are you at on the spectrum when it comes to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Yeah, I mean, as far as like the original Doctor Strange was very much like I kind of watched it out of, out of obligation. I really wasn't that interested other mm-hmm. than the fact that I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I definitely, my hype level for this is definitely much higher than that. It's definitely not like Spider-Man No Way Home hype or, you know, even like how I was excited for like Avengers movie yeah. hype. But I think the multiverse angle and like the inclusion of Scarlet Witch and where we know where she's at after the events of WandaVision. Um, and, you know, the fact that I know this seems to be tying into some of the what if stuff. Uh, which I still haven't finished. Shame on me. But I've watched enough that I know. You got to watch characters. four at least. You got to watch episode yeah. the Doctor Strange episode. You must. Yeah. So I'll have to watch that this weekend because uh, we're going to be seeing it. Uh, we'll, we'll have seen it by the time we do next week's episode. Yes. Next we week we're going to have a whole spoiler discussion on this movie. Yes. Today we're just. Um, yeah. So as I said, if I had to give it like a one out of ten, like the original Doctor Strange, I was probably like a four. You know, this one I'd say I'm probably at like a seven, like a seven. Like I'm okay. definitely interested. Yeah. I'm excited for the multiverse and the fact that we have Sam Raimi, uh, you know, behind the helm is uh, that actually kind of adds a little bit to the hype for me. So, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, for me, it's funny. You're 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 taking the words right out of my mouth. When it comes to the first Doctor Strange, that was totally a by obligation viewing. Yeah. It was well. I got to see what happens. Who this doc? You know where this Doctor Strange character fits into the grand scheme of things. We're heading towards Infinity War, and I'm sure it, I'm going to need to know. So I guess I'll see this Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. You know, this time around, I'm definitely more interested, more organically interested. But it's interesting and totally coincidental why I'm more interested. Because had I not gotten COVID last month. <laughs> And been forced to stay home and just watch a bunch of TV that I had been putting off for a while. You know, if not for that, I wouldn't have binge watched Marvel's What If. And Marvel's What If is what really suddenly made me go, oh, I got to see this next Doctor Strange movie. Because not only is there the Doctor Strange episode, there's another one that seems to factor into this movie that's called What If Ultron Had Won. Have you seen that one at least? No, so I've only seen Captain Carter and I've seen, you know what? I think I saw like half of the Doctor Strange episode with evil Doctor Strange. Um, Or I I feel like I might have like nodded out in that one. So I I saw that. Um, And I saw, what other one did I see? Whatever the, I saw like the first like two. uh, Maybe I saw the first four, but I feel like the fourth one is the Doctor Strange. And it was a little iffy for me. I think I might have felt 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the fifth or sixth one is what if Ultron had won? And it basically poses the question of like, what if Ultron's plot had succeeded in Age of Ultron, where he does transfer his consciousness to Vision's body? And he does defeat the uh, Avengers. He becomes that that impenetrable, Im- unstoppable force. And essentially, I mean, I don't want to spoil that episode for you, but well, you ruined it. What? No, it's just <laughs> no, I'm, the joking. Premise. I'm joking. But watching the trailer, yes, I did remember the trailer. A scene you that... see Doctor Strange being escorted by an army of Ultron-looking robots. Right, and that is also right out of Marvel's What If. So that's why I feel like you need to watch it, but also like it makes me feel weird that I needed to see What If to give such a damn about Doctor Strange too. You know what I mean? Like I wonder, yeah. like to the lay people out there, are they excited for this movie just because? Oh wow, I really want to see the next Doctor Strange movie. Oh, you know, like I'm just I'm intrigued by that yeah. because honestly, or do you just I, want to see what crazy shit comes out of the multiverse? Yeah, <laughs> just, like, I don't know what yeah. it, I don't know what's drawing people, but I guess the point of the matter is it is drawing people because right. Brett, the box office projections are in. We, we don't know where it's going to line up. Projections sometimes are spot on, sometimes they're laughably off. But we're going to go with what Variety is saying because Variety is a trusted industry trade. Um, Lassie, I was looking for at Variety for some comparison reasons. I, 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 sorry. <laughs> when it comes to recent comparisons, Variety points out that the Batman opened up to $128 million. All right, I'm just bringing that up because that's the only superhero fair that's come out so far in 2022. Right. What do you think, Brett, it is projected, Doctor Strange 2 is projected to do? With Doctor Strange, with, with with the Batman opening at one twenty eight, where do you think Doctor Strange two is supposed to open? Purely because it is like you know an MCU movie and it's connected yeah. and it seems to have like a lot of uh, repercussions moving forward. I'm gonna say we're looking at like a hundred eighty to two hundred million. Wow. Okay. So you're looking at so you're actually looking beyond the projections. But the funny thing is the projections are supposedly rather conservative. Uh So the bean counters right now are saying 150 million plus, but there is this feeling that that's just the floor, that that's just the bare minimum it's going to make. And it is going to make past that. And it's just crazy to think by the way, that a Dr. Strange movie uh, can make more than a Batman movie, first of all, but also like who would have thought like with, with the apathy that I feel, I don't think we're alone in the apathy we showed the first movie of seeing it just by obligation. I didn't even see it in theaters. I saw it. I saw it after it came out like a while later. And then I was able to like watch it like on digital streaming. Wow. So that's like how I was like, you know? Yeah. Well, this, the, 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 the interest in this character has shot up a great deal ever since obviously an in infinity war and an end game, Dr. Strange had a lot going for him there. And I feel like people and in no way home and in no way home. That's right. And, and that's like, it's funny. To... I liked him in all of his appearances that were not his own movie. That were like, not his <laughs> one, each, but like I should say, like each one he showed up in, like Infinity War and Endgame and No Way Home, yeah. I think I have started to like him more each time. Like I think he's a cool character. I like his whole gimmick. Yeah, I like his powers. I think he's pretty neat. And I and like I said, I, I really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I think he brings yeah. a little something to the role. 
but it's just that that first movie just like didn't really do anything for me. So yeah. And meanwhile, look, and that one opened at 85 mil. And now the sequel's opening to 150 mil, supposedly at least. That's an improvement. So they I, I would say that's a that is a marked improvement. Yeah. And uh listen, we're gonna see how how well it fares. I've heard a little preliminary buzz on it. You know, no spoilers. I, I, I've, I've largely avoided those. But I have heard some people say that it's like it's a big MacGuffin hunt that, you know, you're chasing different these items. And the story itself is kind of bare thin. And that really, aside from some of the cool multiverse gaga and razzle dazzle, your favorite phrase. Um <laughs> That you know, it's it's a little bit of a hollow experience. I I, I hope that I, I'm wrong. I, I, and I hear that the style is great. I hear Sam Raimi's great visually and the the bringing the horror elements. I hear stylistically it's a treat, but I hear the story is a little you know threadbare there. So I guess we'll see how we feel when we go see it on IMAX on Monday, and we'll share we'll our thoughts on IMAX. Very excited. Yeah, very nice. Um, and now sticking along in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, Marvel's always had a thing where their villains are supposedly crappy. Uh, you know, going back to phase one, people have always complained about the villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And save for a few key ones like Thanos, you know, there, there's not usually a lot to write home about when it comes right. to the antagonists in these movies. But there's talk... That our boy Christian Bale is going to be the best MCU villain yet, according to Taika Waititi. And, um, well, let's expand on that. I mean, look for the quotes. But while while I look for the quotes, are you surprised to hear that Christian Bale's gore the God Butcher might actually be worth a damn? Because I didn't just based on that name. Right. So, <laughs> I like mean... Loki. It's it's a little a little hokey because that's the character's name, but it is what it is. But uh, he seems pretty badass, just like from the comics and some of like the illustrations I've seen seen of him. But um, I mean, listen, you got Christian Bale, um, so I would hope you're gonna do something like a little extra with him than just the usual like let me grimace and snarl. I mean, not for nothing, like uh, Thor three, like you got um, Kate Blanchett, who is an amazing actress. Like I'm a huge fan of hers, and she was just like there. She did her little her little thing. Yeah. And that was it. Like she just showed up and, you know, she had some presence, but there was really nothing like that special about her. Like mm -hmm. the only thing that made her like a little relatable is that you found out that, you know, spoilers for Thor Ragnarok. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, she was, you know, actually like Thor's, um, what, like a sister? Yeah. yeah. Or like half sister. So like yeah, that yeah. kind of, they tried to use that to give it a little more of like a personal, like, you know, effect on Thor. But, it was so thin and it was just like, oh, you're going to tell me that now and then have us like stop her and kill her like right away. So I don't know. Like they, they've gotten some big actors to do some of these roles. But really, aside from Thanos, you know, Josh Brolin's awesome performance, um, none of them have really done anything. So and I've also I've heard this line before. I, I feel like so <laughs> many directors have said like, oh, we have the best, you know, villain this time. We have yeah. the best villain this time. I mean, honestly, if aside from Thanos, your best villain was uh kingpin and daredevil oof yeah that's true you know what i mean like you really yeah. haven't had anyone come close to thanos and josh brolin's performance or d'onofrio as kingpin in my yeah. opinion no one has come 
anywhere close. And granted, listen, Daredevil had a show. They could develop him a lot longer over time, but he was compelling and and uh, actually had, like, depth. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know. Like, you have an amazing actor, Christian Bale. I also haven't seen him in anything in, like, a really long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the last time I saw him in was uh, the movie um, Vice, where he saw played Dick Cheney. I think that was mm-hmm. the last like big release I saw him in. Yeah, so. that might be. Yeah, I might. I might be able to. That say was a few exactly a few years same. back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I've I've heard this line before. So I don't know. Well, Prove here's the wrong. thing. <laughs> I'm with you, but to me, Taika Waititi is a special filmmaker. To me, yeah. he doesn't strike me as like a like a studio shill. You know, there there's some of these guys when they go out there and talk, you can almost tell that Kevin Feige's hand is up their ass or something. Right. You know, like whenever John Watts talks about something, I don't really put too much into it. Like a lot of the Marvel directors, I'm like, yeah, you're just doing what you got to do to hype up yeah. your movie. Taika Waititi, he's got street cred. He makes stuff that's awesome that's not Marvel related. Also, you know, like what yes. we do in the shadows, like the that pirate one that you're our watching. flag means death. Yes. yes. You know, he's not someone who like necessarily has to kiss ass and play the game and do all that sort of stuff, you know? So when he says, and this is the quote I found that he says, in my humble opinion, we have probably the best villain that Marvel's ever had in Christian Bale. So, I mean, to me, coming from him, I kind of believe that there's something to that. That means that he wrote this and directed this, directed this in a way where this is a villain that we're going to, we're going to be upset about. You know what I mean? Like there's, he's going to be, there's going to be stakes. He's going to be a threat to our hero. We're going to be worried about our hero. I don't think YTT would say this if it's just going to be another one of these kind of crappy disposable villains that we've gotten in the past, you know? So I guess I, I want to see more. The design is really strange, right? He's he's bald headed and all white. It's a very unique character design. Some people thought yeah. it looked a little too like bland or, or or generic in a way. But if you look at artwork of Gore the God Butcher, that's what he looked like. Well, we've seen all we've seen is that action figure, right? Which looked like yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but like yeah, I mean, yeah, because it was just like a little corny, like cheap action figure. It wasn't even like yeah. one of like, the good, nice, like high end ones. Yeah. So, but yeah, illustration wise, like he looks pretty cool in the comics. Like he he looks pretty badass. I was like doing a little research before too. Like he has, uh, you know, he's got all the all the goods, all the bells and whistles as far as like yeah. powers and strength and stuff. But you know, at the same time, you have this movie where. Um, you know, we kind of have the idea that like Thor is kind of going through like a midlife crisis kind of deal. He there's obviously going to be some stuff with him with the Guardians. Then we have to have introduced God, the Gore Butcher. We have to have Thor go through his journey. And then we know at some point uh, Jane Foster gets involved in here and yes. becomes female Lady Thor or fe- just Thor, female Thor, whatever you want to yeah. call her. And I just feel like there's a lot in there that you have to balance now. So like how much development are we really going to get for this guy where his gimmick is just that he wants to destroy all the old gods. Like that's his main thing is he's called Gore the God Butcher. He just want he doesn't like all these gods and he wants to get rid of them. Uh, And also if you've also glimpsed in the trailer, I think we might've discussed. Yeah. We're going to the Greek pantheon. So I'm like, how much develop? like how good is he going to be? How much time are you going to be able to give him? Cause Mm -hmm. you need time for that. So. You know what I'm wondering too? Not just just like a way to do though. So I, in, in Taika, I trust. Yeah. Yes. Um, but also in terms of how they're going to handle things in this movie, I'm just curious. Do you think that the Jane Foster, who is Mighty Thor in the trailer, 
do you think that's the same Jane Foster from Thor one and two, or is this going to be some sort of multiverse deal where she's the Thor on her world? You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. that's the part I I can't quite tell. I was gonna bring that up, but then I thought yeah. I should stop talking. And I'm glad you <laughs> brought it up though, because that was literally my next point. I was yeah. like, that's the other thing too, because like now if she's not the one that we've had the first, you know, couple we gotta of movies, explain how she became. We gotta explain this one, and it's yeah. you know, it's all, it's all connected. We gotta tie it in. So yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It just seems yeah. like there's a lot of moving parts here. I'm sure the movie can be two, two and a half hours, but that that's a lot. You know, that is a lot. It just is not, no, it's nothing. It's not like a bad thing off the bat, but I've just seen it time and time again. You know, you only have so much time. You only have so much time, but you know what? I have a surprising amount of time for Brett. What do you have a lot of time for? The new Chippendales movie. And I never thought I'd say that. The Chippendale rescue ranger movie. I said Chippendales, like the male strippers, by the way. Yes. Which they have about that in the new trailer. Yes. Um, Yeah, like I, this movie was not on my radar until you sent me the trailer. And I even thought there's something must be wrong with Brett. Why does he think I would want to watch a Chippendale Chippendale Rescue Ranger movie? Which is a a Disney Plus streaming movie, too. It's not coming out in theaters, it's going straight to Disney Plus. Like in my mind, just reading the title, I'm like, oh, this is like the Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel, like one of these like crappy live right. action, you know, adaptations of an old cartoon. So imagine my surprise when I click on it and I see this like very meta, fourth wall breaking, who framed Roger Rabbit type of movie with Chippendale at the center of the story. Uh, right. This thing looks like it's going to be insane. So we should talk about now the the people behind this. So the yeah. people behind this are from the Lonely Island, who um, you know, uh, yeah. famously Andy Samberg, um, and I forget the other guys' two names that are in it. But it's all but Saturday I, Night Live alum. Yeah. yeah, it's all Saturday Night Live alum, and you also have John Mulaney. So John Mulaney is playing Chip. Andy right. Samberg is playing Dale. And yeah, like you said, it is. It is like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit for our generation. Yeah. I don't know how they pulled this off, but they somehow got Disney to allow them license to like a bunch of their characters. Um, there was, there's, I, uh, just in the most recent trailer, there's two trailers out right now. In the most recent one, I mean, we saw Flounder from Little Mermaid. Yep. There's like a Gumby looking character. Um, we have what looks like an old grown up washed up Peter Pan, which <laughs> yes. I blew my mind. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. Like they they got carte blanche to just do crazy shit with this. Yeah. And it looks like it is made for people who grew up with Chippendales. And it and it it's blended blended with live action. And it yeah. kind of it kind of basically looks at them in like a reality setting as if like they no, they were like a real thing. It happened in our world. And now they're kind of like washed up, they're retired, they've split up, they've done their own thing. Yeah. Um, and I am really excited. I think it comes out this month too. I think it's like May twentieth, and it's going straight to Disney Plus. So yeah, I think that is going to be a really, a really fun one. And it and it looks like it's going to be, you know, I, I think it's going to lean a little more uh, skew, a little, a little older. I don't. I mean, not to I say that so I don't too. think little kids will be able to not, yeah. you know, I don't think little kids will be able to not watch it. But I think it is towards, you know, uh, people of uh, a certain age. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So I'm, I'm actually uh, very excited. So check those trailers out if you haven't yet. It's uh, might yeah. be on your radar. You'd be surprised. I love the bit where, you know, they started off as 2D cartoons, right? And then 
he references one of them, Chip or Dale references Dale. having Dale references doing the CG conversion surgery. Yeah, so Dale is a 3D CG fully rendered CG character. And he looked yeah, but and then Chip the other looked one like his old animation, but they you know they gave it like a little bit of like a three dimensionality to it, yeah. you know. But he's like the original animation style from the show. So you have two. That's you see, you have Chip and Dale. In two different animation styles, and then at some point they encounter a character who, like you said, looks like Gumby, who looks like stop motion animation. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of like in in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where you're seeing all these different animation styles and and cartoons from different worlds. Remember, you had like Disney cartoons, you had Warner yes. Brothers Looney Tunes. You know, um, here this idea of like all these different animation styles to me, it just I I think it's so cool and inventive and creative yeah. and clever. And I just want to see how they do it. So thanks for putting Chip and Dale Rescue Ranger, the Rescue Rangers movie on, yeah. my, uh, on my radar. And uh, folks, if you're sleeping on this like I was, do what Brett said. Find the two trailers on YouTube. And I, I guarantee you're going to be pleasantly surprised yeah. at what Disney has cooked up with that movie. Because it really does feel like we're getting like a Who Frame Roger Rabbit type of thing again. Yes, very so. cool. That's awesome. And speaking of cool things on Disney Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi gave us a new trailer on Star Wars Day on May the 4th. Be with you. We got our new look at Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I have to just mention May the 4th is also my son's birthday. So my son was born on Star Wars Day and my recent daughter, Delilah, was born on April 18th. You know what's big about April 18th there, Brett? No. April 18th. Five years before my birthday. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> April 18th, 1938 is when Action Comics number one came out, introducing the world to Superman. Oh, so my kids cool. are born on these epic days, man. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah, so on May the 4th, we got to look at a new trailer for Kenobi. Uh, Brett, what were your impressions of the trailer? So, yeah, this, this trailer got me so hype. Um, I, I already love the tone of it. I love the look of it. Um, there's been some really also nice little variations on the duel of the fates theme that I've heard floating out throughout these trailers and it is tickling me in all the right spots. Yep. <laughs> so I am, uh, very excited. Well, what were your thoughts? And then maybe we could talk some, a little, little details in it. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I am bought in I hook, line and center is center. Yeah. Hook, line, and sinker. That's what they say. Listen, we're recording this on Cinco de Mayo, and in this house, we celebrate that with tacos and margaritas. So that, I'm, I'm right. surprised that's the first uh, slur I've had. Of right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm already bought in hook, line, and sinker into the, this series. But this trailer in particular, we got to see a little more about the villains, these inquisitors who are looking for him, what it is that they want to do with Kenobi. You, you hear the the female one talking about like I want every bounty hunter on him and finding yeah. out what he's up to. And yeah, I guess they're maybe trying to find out uh, maybe where Luke and Leia ended up. Like, I'm not really sure what it is they want with Kenobi, or maybe it's just part of the general hunt of all the Jedi yeah. that began in revenge of the Sith. But either way, you really get this sense that like he's on the run in hiding. There's these, evil crazy empire people coming after him and then there's the big thing at the end where yes we've heard teases in the last teaser you hear the sound the, 
But in yeah. this one, you see like the robot arm get connected. You see the little box get activated and you realize like, you know, they, they really lean into the fact yeah. that the big bad this season looks like it's going to be our man, Darth Vader himself. Yes. So to me, that was like the big takeaway that like, oh, they finally gave us a real look at Darth. So um yeah, were, were there any other like standout moments for you in the trailer? That yes. Just what? Uh, yes, there were, and I have a, I have a little like background stuff too. So yeah. Uh, first off, there's a scene very early on where we see Obi Wan talking to Uncle Owen. <laughs> yes, uh, Luke's uncle, <laughs> and he says, "When the when the boy comes of age, you know he's gonna need he training." Needs training, and he looks at <laughs> Owen looks at him and says, "Like you trained his father." And I was like, "Ooh, that was Ooh. brutal, man!" Yeah. I was like, "I mean, he's not wrong." No, <laughs> so, so that was that was a really, really that's nice. Like, I love that, and, and totally kind of on brand for Uncle Owen. Oh, if so you fun. remember, you know, we don't spend oh. a lot of time with Uncle Owen in A New Hope, but he's kind of gruff and he doesn't mince his words. You know, right? So I love that they kept that. He's like, "Like you train his dad, like you train it's like yeah. oof." Ouch. How and you, you see it too. You see on uh, Obi-Wan's face, he kind of is like, oh, <laughs> I don't have a comeback for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also interesting, we in both trailers, we have not seen Obi-Wan with his lightsaber or even mm. wielding a lightsaber, not once yet. Especially in this trailer, there's been a little yeah. more action in this one. And yeah. uh, if you notice, he's doing all hand-to-hand -hand and stuff with blasters. Huh. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I would assume if like maybe he's like – He's like uh, vowed not to use the lightsaber anymore, like because he's you know uh, maybe also to stay hidden. I would think, but yeah. um, you have to imagine if he's gonna meet up with with uh, Anakin and Darth again that they yeah that's when that's when it comes out and we get the and then he starts going down with it. Um, so that'll be really cool. So now a couple of little things. So I have talked to you about uh, I think I'm gonna talk about it last week. Um, a video game called Jedi Fallen Order. Mm, yes. So uh, that stars a new character. It, the game is canon, but that stars a new character that was created for the game called Cal Kestis, uh, played yes. by uh, Cameron Monaghan. Um, he was shameless, and he was also, yeah, like the proto-Joker or Joker on Gotham. Mm -hmm. So uh, good actor. So uh, that game takes place around the same time period as Obi-Wan. It takes Ooh, place between Episode okay. 3 and Episode 4. Yeah. Um, and the game involves... Uh, you obviously on the run hiding from the inquisitors. So the inquisitors report directly to Vader. Um, um, those are Vader's henchmen. Um, so okay. he's got all these inquisitors and he, the, I guess after order 66, they said, Hey, we didn't get everybody. So he got a bunch of these crazy Sith Lords on board. Um, and he's sending them out on missions to exterminate the rest of the Jedi. So hmm. the game very much uh, leans heavily into that. And uh, they have like cool names, like they're like the second sister, the third sister, and like I know the girls, the guys might have like different names. I don't know if there's like any. I feel like you fight a lot of like women inquisitors in that game that I can remember. So um, they have like yeah these little titles. Uh, so this uh, show is obviously has the inquisitors in it, and I'm wondering because uh, there was Cal, a little quote. Ewan McGregor made an interesting quote recently. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Uh, it wasn't like crazy specific, yeah. but he was talking about the series and how well Deborah Chow, uh, the director, knows uh, Star Wars and all the interconnected lore. And ah. he made a specific comment where he said, yeah, you know, for instance, you know, um, 
if something happened in a game, you know, it needs to like, make sure it carries over and is consistent with what we're doing in the show. Mm. And he specifically said a video game. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. And actually in season two of The Mandalorian, or it might have been in Book of Boba Fett, um, we actually do see a new droid, which is a BD unit, and that was created an original for Jedi Fallen Order. You ah, actually have a BD so unit. It's clearly BD1. on their mind. Yeah. So it's on their mind. They're thinking about it. They're linking it into the, into the overall lore. So I'm wondering if we might see Cal Kestis at some point on the run. And we do know a sequel is in development of Jedi Fallen Order. So not that I would think you're going to see Obi-Wan in the game. I don't yeah. think get you and McGregor to do that. But it might be a cool thing to have Cal Kestis show up in here. And then maybe that could tie and lead into where he ends up in the second game. Yeah. Uh, or like what Inquisitors are still around. Because um, I think in the – yeah, I think you fight the second sister is kind of like spoilers for Jedi Fallen Order. Um, you fight the second sister as the final boss fight in that. Um, and then there's a really, really cool sequence after that. I won't spoil it. Um, so, and, uh, obviously I, I think you, we, we get rid of her, I think, yeah. um, or, or, or someone does. Uh, so I'll keep that vague too. Uh, so yeah, she won't be there. And, uh, there was like another, like one or two that showed up, but they were like big alien, thus humanoid. There was like this mm -hmm. big alien grunt one. I forgot. It might've been like the fourth sister. Yeah. So yeah. So I just an interesting timeline that they're they're uh, playing with, and then we do have that game in there, and uh, so I'm I'm curious if we're going to see some characters intersect or. And that's one of the perks, by the way, because you know the the characters and games don't always resemble the actors who play them. More often than not, I'd say they don't. But in in this case, the fact that they based Cal Kestis off of Monaghan and it actually yeah, it's, it's like exactly him. him. You could just have him play the role in live action and it's just a seamless transition from game to screen. And something so, else I just remembered too. Oh, uh, this is a small little detail. I might be reading too into it, but in uh, Disney, the Disney's Galaxy's Edge, which is the mm -hmm. new like park they have there in Disney, yeah. they recently, like within the last year or so, they did unveil uh, with Cameron Monaghan. He was in like a little video showing it off they made a replica hilt because you can get like your own lightsaber yeah, there. His lightsaber, they did the replica right? hilt of his lightsaber from Jedi Fallen Order. It's like they, they want him to be – yeah. So I'm he's involved. His face is there. It's, it's very branded on things. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if we are going to see like a little – a fun little Easter egg in there. At yeah. least, or maybe a reference of some kind. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that could be that could be really, really neat. I, you know, I don't know exactly – how it lines up, you know, mm -hmm. year-wise with that series, but yeah. it is in that same gap. So for sure, for sure. Uh, cool. One of my favorite standout moments, actually piggybacking on yours, sure, is I find it intriguing that Kenobi seems to be pushing to train Luke, because if when you when you think about A New Hope, it certainly doesn't seem like old man Herbert Hermit Kenobi is been trying to get Luke out of hiding and trying to teach him the ways of the Jedi. If anything, by the time Luke looks for him and gets him, he's like reluctant. You know what I mean? It, right. it takes a little bit for him to decide he wants to train him. So the fact that here we are where Luke is still a young child, and mind you, and there's been this whole thing now established in the prequel trilogy that you got to start him young. You got to start, start right. him early before they get fear and anger and other interpersonal connections into them because otherwise they're always going to have too much emotion in them to be able to be just fully, you know, that Zen Jedi thing. 
And that was the big conflict with Qui-Gon and the council. They didn't think he should train Anakin because Anakin's too old and Anakin was a child, basically. So yeah. I'm just curious. I, 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 I assume that means that throughout the course of this six-part limited series event, which you notice they were very clear on, on pointing that out. Yes. Like they said, this is a six-part limited series event for most of the other shows like they kind of leave it open-ended and we're going to get to right. moon Knight later which i think was supposed to be a limited event but then right. turn it into something else but here they're saying it right out of the gate this is supposed to just be a six-part beginning middle and end story here so i assume within those six episodes we might find out why maybe he starts off the series feeling like Luke needs training. And by the end, he feels like I'm just going to leave Luke alone and maybe he's better off not becoming a Jedi. Right. You know what I mean? Because he does seem to sort of be there once we get to episode four. Luke, remember, he doesn't come looking for Luke. Luke goes looking for Obi-Wan. He needs yeah. help because R2-D2 comes you know, asking about Obi-Wan Kenobi using the message right. from Leia. You know, so... It's just, I find it interesting that all of a sudden in this clip, it looks like it's very urgent for Obi-Wan that Luke gets training when the time is right. Right. But then we know that that's not going to be the case a few years from now when A New Hope happens. So sure. that was just another bit of interesting little like character development stuff. I'm like, I wonder how they're going to flesh out that arc and why he has that sort of about face when it comes to all that. Right. You know? But uh, all in all, I think it. What is it? May twenty something. Whenever it is that it comes out, twenty seventh. It can't. It can't come fast enough. I need this Kenobi show in my blood, in my veins. Injected Um, right into me. (laughs) Yes. Um, But now we're going to switch over to the other big thing that happened on Disney Plus this week because Moon Knight uh, brought its season one to a conclusion. And we haven't discussed any Moon Knight the last couple of weeks. So let's just kind of briefly go through episodes four, five, and six. So, Brent, why don't you start us off? I know you were very, very into episode four. So talk to me about episode four and where you've kind of ended up here through the last three episodes. Yeah, so I'll start at episode four. I loved episode four. It was like an Indiana Jones, like Tomb Raider kind of uh, kind of episode. Um, very very fun. Had that like you know high adventure uh, as they went through the tombs. They discovered uh, Alexander the Great's tomb. They were kind of you know uh, Mark Spector had to kind of give over uh, the uh, control uh, to um, Stephen Grant because he's the one that has all the brains and is like smart with all that with all like the you know Egyptian yeah. history and stuff. So I thought that was a really really fun episode. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, then, uh, we ended up, uh, in, in a crazy situation, uh, with, you know, again, this is spoilers. We're talking about everything. Uh, Mark gets shot and, and seemingly killed at the end of episode four, which leads us into an excellent episode five, uh, where we actually learn the truth of the split identity, uh, uh, between Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, and we basically find out that, that was heavy doc. Yeah, it was yeah. actually heavy. And again, Oscar Isaac carrying every you know carrying the whole show obviously on his back he did a really good job and i was surprised like how uh, poignant it got and how emotional it got um we find out that basically when mark was younger he had a younger brother uh they went into like explore a cave that you know in by their home i guess that they weren't supposed to and then there was like a rain rain came it flooded and his uh brother died and uh his mother as a result became like an abusive alcoholic 
and um blamed know, him and- yeah blamed him and it was like a recluse and verbally physically mentally abusive and then uh basically Stephen grant was this character um that him and his brother loved from like a a, a vhs like some movie that they Doom used to watch busting or something Doom like that. busters yeah. i think it was Tomb busters Tomb busters something something like that so yeah and then uh that was basically a character they loved and the identity disorder uh kind of uh, manifested itself and took over that british persona with that like you know phony kind of accent which makes sense now why his british yeah. accent was kind of weird because like it was like a kid he's not british doing yeah. when he's not british so um yeah i thought i thought that was really interesting um and then we got into episode six the series finale well, I should say there was a lot more in episode five. We also got introduced very importantly that uh, the MCU acknowledged that there is an afterlife. So it gives a little credence to Black Panther when he has that little afterlife sequence uh, that we all thought was maybe like a, yep. hallucination, a, hallucin- uh, a hallucination from I had a couple of margaritas today, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true story. Um, a hallucination from the, the little purple plant. But now they've kind of acknowledged that there are afterlifes and many different afterlifes in the MCU. So that was kind of a big reveal. Um, So on top of the multiverses of madness, we now have all these afterlives. And they've also basically acknowledged, I mean, at this point, they've already acknowledged that there are Egyptian gods, but there's a lot of them. (laughs) And they are are very present and they're influencing things. And uh, we had a little ride on the Duat, um, which is like the uh, river of the afterlife, like Sand River. And... um, had a really cool sequence there where we, we lost Steven. Um, and then we get to episode six where they had to kind of reconcile um, the two personalities and coexist with each other. And, uh, you know, then we finally got a uh, Kanchu back. And uh, I mean, I, I, that, for me, I'm just going to get into it now. Episode yeah, six fell very flat for me. Um, huh. I thought, the whole villain arc at the end just kind of like fell flat with Ethan Hawke. Again, you got a great actor and then like, I don't know what you did with it. Then there was a big giant alligator woman and <laughs> that was like the big boss was a big alligator woman. <laughs> and it's like that. This guy's this is a real story. It happened. All right. So there's a big alligator woman and it turned into a big CGI crap fest at the end. And you know, I, I have a, I have a couple of bones to pick. So first off, you had six episodes. We knew this series was going to be six episodes only. I loved episode four and five, which I should mention featured no Moon Knight at no all. There was no superhero Moon costume, Knight. no Moon yeah. Knight at all. Okay, there was some action, there was some stuff, but no Moon Knight. A lot of character development, which is great, but no Moon Knight. Um, so we only had Moon Knight really for like a second in the first episode a brief fight in the second episode and a brief fight in the third episode. Then for episodes four and five, you had no moon Knight, And then this, the final, the finale we had, I don't know, again, a brief fight at the end with moon Knight, And that was it. Also, I don't know if you remember Kevin, uh, what is it? Feige? Feige. Feige. I, I blanked out on it. Kevin Feige was like, we certainly don't pull any punches. We don't hold anything back. Moon Knight's super violent. Show was not that violent. There <laughs> were a couple not. of scenes where, like, I saw some blood, and you know, people were getting like boomerangs in their chest and stuff. But yeah. like, it was really not that violent. Like, he made it sound like it was going to be Daredevil, and mm-hmm. it was nowhere close to that. So I thought that was like a little disingenuous. Not that, not that I was like craving bloodshed, yeah. but like yeah. just the comments maybe led me to believe there was not a lot of action in some of the episodes. So I thought yeah. that was that was misleading. Um, 
and yeah, again, that that final that final confrontation felt very rushed uh, because they had to spend like three quarters of the episode kind of resolving all the stuff from episode five, and then you just got this. Uh, Do you the think villain... it could used another episode or two? Yeah, like if you were going to do episodes four and five, it should have been at least like eight episodes. So we had like three yeah. episodes to get back. Um, so I know. Sorry if I'm a little all over the place. Like, no, no, no. Listen, you're going through the. I know I'm rambling. Ride I'm going through the roller coaster. So six. Yeah, I was definitely higher on the series. Um, the first couple episodes, I was higher than you on the first episode. Yeah. I think the second and third, we felt the same way. I loved episode four and five, but then six really fell flat for me. Um, you know, the coolest thing was maybe like the post credit sequence, but we could talk about yeah. that in a moment. So like, yeah. how, how was four five and six for you? Do you, are you on the same yeah. page as me? Well, Were you as offended as I was? <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, I was very skeptical after the first one. I was not really sold and I was going to watch it basically by obligation just because, Hey, it's the big thing happening in geekdom. I'm going to watch moon night so we can talk about it on the show. Uh, two and three definitely started to work their magic on me. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in four, I finally got fully immersed and bought into this world. I think it was the Egyptian setting. Yeah. I think it was finally finding out more about the, the main characters and their relationship and the stuff with him and Layla and, you know, more about Khonshu and his relationship to the other Egyptian gods and, and how all these different avatars for all the different gods work and all that. Um, so for me, like, the, the general note is I love how unpredictable this show was. I, you know, a lot of the Marvel stuff I can see a, a mile away. A lot of, you know, I just, to me, a lot of it is just kind of predictable. I see where things are going to end up. Oh, there, that, there's going to be a swerve there. This guy's going to be the villain. I'm used to being able to kind of see what we're, what we're building towards. For me in Moon Knight, I was, I never had any real clue what the hell was going to happen next. Sure. You know, I feel like it was shot that way. It was directed that way. It was edited that way. There is a lot of stuff where you're just meant to go, what the hell is going on? There's a talking hippopotamus talking to me right now out of nowhere, <laughs> apropos of nothing. You know, like there's a lot of this, like, what, where did that come from? Yeah. So for me, four, five, and six, I loved it because to me, I couldn't see any of it coming. I found it very um, just unpredictable and original and different than anything I'd seen before in this space. I've never seen a superhero story done this way. I've never seen any story really done this way. It's a very yeah. trippy, interesting sort of concept for a hero too. this idea of the human avatar of an ancient Egyptian god and all that sort of stuff. Right. And then once, you know, once we get into four and there's the, the stuff where like Kanshu is, is, is reverting the night sky into the same star pattern that it had been thousands yeah. of years prior to try to find Amit's tomb. Like I was, I, I loved it. I thought like, th yeah. I, this is so different. This is so cool. I am so into this. Uh, same thing. Episode five going into the afterlife stuff. What was interesting about that one was I was actually like because of the, the arc of that episode and how heavy it was and what we learned about Steven, 
and combined with the fact that I don't really know anything about Moon Knight aside from this show. Right. <laughs> um, when Steven died at the end, I thought that was like on purpose. I thought, oh, that's the point here. You know, he's in the afterlife. Right. He needs to make peace with himself. He needs to forgive himself. He needs to really come face to face with the harsh truths of his life. And that's why the hearts weren't balanced. That's what needed to happen. So in my mind, it was like, oh, the, the way he gets back to his real life now and is able to be a more complete hero is now the Stephen Grant alter ego is just gone now. And yeah, that's sad. That's bittersweet. But now it's like deep down, you know, Stephen's role has been served. You know, the the way he was there to protect Mark from the harsh sure. times. So in a way it was sad, but it was kind of beautiful and it was kind of poignant. And I was totally fine with now we just follow Mark from here on. So imagine my surprise at the beginning of six when he goes and brings him back to life. I'm like, oh, no. Right. So we're still doing the multiple personality thing. Okay. Right. Um, but see, for me, believe it or not, six didn't flatline for me. I, I I was by that point now, I was going for the ride, and I got into the fact that we're fighting a giant alligator lady, and that Layla now has this badass Egyptian superhero outfit. Right. Uh like I was just I was with it. I was just then at, by that point, I was just going for the ride and just wondering what the hell's gonna happen next. Cause like I said, by this point, they had me so off balanced as a right. viewer that I'm just like, I'm with you, I'm going for this ride, let's do this. And I'm still trying to figure out if Ethan Hawke's character is like, is the psychologist just a manipulation or is it possible the psychologist has his own double personality and that's why he looks at his foot after walking and he's got the bloody footsteps and he's uh. like, where'd that blood come from? And Steven's like, looks like you don't know about as much about this stuff as uh, you thought you did. Right. Like, I don't know. I was just, I was so hooked into the central mysteries of this world that yeah, it got a little crazy. But I liked it. I thought it was cool. Where yeah. like in the background by the pyramids, you see giant Amit and giant Kanchu fighting like like Power Ranger Megazord style. And then on the <laughs> ground, you have Moon Knight and 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 uh, Layla. I don't even know if they, have they given her a name yet. I don't know if they've given her an alias. No, you see them that. fighting all the people on the ground, and I don't know. I was I was yeah. not disappointed. I was not disappointed. Like I the, uh, you ahead. you said some really good things like like the the show succeeded on I mean Oscar Isaac's performance yes and I do agree with like like I always talk about this like I love all the weird stuff and yeah. I I didn't really know where the show was going yeah. so that was exciting for me but like I just felt like and I and I appreciated that they they were not afraid I guess to take the time to like really mm -hmm. like do some more emotional stuff and some, and like dig a little deeper into the characters. Yeah. But I just felt like it needed a little more uh, runway before it I took off, you, you know, like you. that, that kind of, and I, yeah, it just, the, the I, mean, I will say, yeah, I will kind of say through. kind of echoing you there. I mean, it didn't bum me out, but I was surprised that that was it. Like when I realized like, Oh yeah. wow, this they're wrapping up the story here. And now the next thing is season two, presumably a year from now. So I'm like, oh, wow, it's all over. Like, I don't think I realized it was just six episodes until I was in the, so the six episode was wrapping up and I'm like, this feels an awful right. lot like a finale. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I definitely like I, I agree that like it might it ended a little abruptly. It probably could have used an episode seven or eight. Yeah. But with that said, I was there for the ride. And like if 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 the first episode for me, I think I said was like a four out of ten. By the end, the overall experience of Moon Knight for me, I'd say was a seven out of ten. I I didn't like yeah. absolutely love it. But it was definitely a thumbs up experience for me. Yeah, I think overall I'd still probably fall in like a seven out of ten range. Like you know, I think I gave episode one like a seven out of ten. I think yeah. two and three were like 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 sevens for me. Four and five actually might have been like eights, but then I feel like the finale for me was like a six. So I got you. The got law you. of averages says it's a seven. I don't yeah. Know. Um, but we should talk about the the post credit sequence really quick. Yeah. Um, so there is a post credit sequence. Yes. Um, if you didn't stay to watch through the credits, and um, we got uh, well, first of all, yeah, Harrow, uh, which is played by Ethan Hawke, uh, appears to actually uh meet his demise after Mark decided not to kill him at the end of episode six. Um, yeah. and he meets his demise by a mysterious uh third personality, which again they kind of alluded to at the end of episode six, where he has a he, has a he looks like he's about to lose. He has a blackout moment, and there's a lot of death. <laughs> Tons of death around him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we get to see Jake Lockley, who I think uh, – I'm not a – again, I don't read the comics, but I know uh, that uh, just from beyond the internet, a lot of people that are comics fans have been wondering where this personality had been the whole time, and apparently he was there. Um, maybe – and now I'm wondering if he was there even earlier on in the series – Again, especially in the mm. first episode when he was having a lot of those blackouts, was that actually Mark or was that Jake Lockley, um, which yeah. is the the famous cab driver personality um, of uh, yeah. of Mark Spector slash Steven. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that they revealed that, that is, and actually Kanchu seems to have really have the deal with him, and he was kind of manipulating Steven and Mark, and he's really can more connected with Jake Lockley to do his bidding. And Jake Lockley seems like he's very happy to carry it out. <laughs> and Kanchu suddenly, after after six episodes of seeming like he's the hero in the story, in that post credit sequence, he suddenly becomes a much more sinister force. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it almost seems like we get rid of Ethan Hawke's character, but the villain in season two is it going to be Kanchu himself? Like I guess if if I knew the Moon Knight comics, I might see more where they're going with this. Right. But for now, it was very intriguing. Where it seems like we we killed this villain to set up a new villain, but this villain lives inside the head of our hero. You yeah. Know? So it's like, yeah. It's not a great story to to tell out of that. It's yeah. very unique. How is Mark gonna fight Jake? Like I'm just yeah, I, I'm intrigued by how yeah. all that's gonna play out. So, um, and also okay. like, like we alluded to earlier, there was this thing where it was initially announced as like a limited series event and somewhere in there, they decided that they're going to do a season two. Uh, and I, by the way, I wonder if that, that that's one of the reasons that they had to kill off Ethan Hawke's character. He might've said like, listen, I'll do a Marvel thing, but I'm just doing one season. You're not going to get me for you know two or three. You're so, not going to engage me. <laughs> Yeah, and especially too, like if he signed on thinking it was a limited series thing, and then halfway through they're like, you know, we actually have this cool idea for season two. He's like, yeah, but kill me off, all right? Yeah. Kill me off in the post credit because I don't want to be there for season two, right? But um, but yeah, so all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a bit of a switcheroo, 
And now it looks like Moon Knight will be returning with a season two. And there's already a little bit of talk about what that might look or feel like. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, so let's see. I wanted to get the right quote here. So yeah, coming from Mohammed Diab, who was the, uh, he directed the finale. He was an executive producer on the entire show. And uh, here's what he had to say about where things uh, seem to be going next or could be going next. He said, first, I don't know why he's being coy, but he says, we don't know if there's a next season. Marvel doesn't go with a conventional way. So even if they like the character and want to extend the world, it could be season two. It could be a standalone film or he can join another superhero's journey. I'm kept in the dark, just like the fans. We never discussed it being a season two, but one day there's going to be an expansion, but I don't know how it's going to look like. Yeah. So we don't have a lot to work with as to what season two is going to be like, right. but I think it's pretty clear that it's coming. I think it's pretty yeah. clear that it's coming. And uh, hopefully uh, they bring back the same core members of creative because I thought they did a bang up job here with season one, yeah. especially with the fact that here's a Marvel show that had pretty much zero MCU connections. Whereas all the other uh, MCU related shows on Disney plus have played with this idea that we're related to what you see in the movies. And it's all part of that grand right. tapestry. Uh, Moon Knight seemed to relish in the fact that it was in its own little pocket you know, universe in terms of where this story takes place. And, sure. you know, there, there, there's news that came out in the last few days that there had been, there had been the thought of a, of, of a MCU crossover or two, a cameo right. or two, but that those ultimately got cut. So I just want to read a little bit on that sure. because uh, that same fellow, Mohammed Diab, uh, had this to say in a conversation with Variety. He said, we had the freedom to place it whenever. I want to tell you the very first scene, there was a crossover. And the very end scene, there was a crossover. But as the story developed and we kept changing the scripts, we felt like we don't need that. All of us. It was a collective decision. And then I kept thinking, it's a rule. There has to be a scene at the end that connects us to the MCU, which, I mean, he didn't really do. So I guess right. it wasn't that much of a rule. <laughs> but, um, but you know, but that, that was another thing that I found bold and, and that I really appreciated about Moon Knight is that it really does stand on its own. It's its own story about its own very unique character that's yeah. unlike all the other Avengers type characters that we've met so far. And it didn't have to play that thing with like, see, we're related to the movies. We got it's an the actor. first one to not have to do that. I mean, yeah. Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, WandaVision, all, um, all of them. Yeah. Even the, the Star Wars shows, you know, now like Mandalorian bringing in Luke and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, like a lot of these Disney Plus shows seem to feel this need to like, we have to bring in a legacy character into this. Otherwise, it doesn't count. And Moon Knight was like, no, our story and the characters are enough on their own. We don't need any other bells and whistles. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty great and pretty yeah. bold. I give him props for that. Good. I give him props for that. Yeah. Um, but all right. So now let's wrap this up with a yes. uh, reaction 
to season two, episode 11 of Superman and Lois. So, uh, Brett, I'll let you get started. What did you think of episode 11 of season two? Another great episode. <laughs> um, the show really is just killing it every week. It really is. Um, so we got to see right soups uh, make his way back right right from the beginning of the episode. We pick up right where the two Jonathans yeah. are about to merge. Um, and then we get soups right out of the portal right there to save his son. Um, that was great. Um, yeah, there's some 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 nice family drama and uh, some, you know, some repercussions from Jonathan seeing his double and uh, kind of learning a little bit about the bizarro world from uh, from Clark that, you know, in, in that world, he doesn't have the secret identity and it, it did a lot of damage to their family and that they were kind of like crazy over there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, both boys kind of rebelling against their father a little bit. Like maybe it should be that way. Maybe we shouldn't be hiding and Jordan a little more uh, drama with Sarah because he can't really reveal what's been going on. And, yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really interesting, uh, like, you know, look into that. Uh, there was some nice action this episode, uh, which was really cool. They had, they definitely spent some money on this one, Yeah, um, but we were, we spent it primarily all on our earth. We didn't go yes. to the weird, uh, weird zone, the bizarro world. And, um, the big thing at the end where Clark makes a decision, you know, at least for his best friend, Lana, because, uh, they had like a little awkward encounter earlier on. Uh, to reveal himself that he is has been Superman all along, and I thought that was really beautiful and done really really well. And uh, yeah. I was like, I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How about yeah. you? So yeah, what do you think? I mean, listen, I thought I thought it was another great episode of the show. I love, I love how the the crazy larger than life stuff affects the interpersonal relationships and the family so much too. Yeah. I like seeing the day-to-day -day impact of some of these big, crazy things that happen. And the way that the family reacts to this idea of living in public instead of with the secrets, I think is interesting because of course the adults agree that the secret is important and it's, you know, they're thinking bigger picture and they're thinking, you know, it's just, it's safer for everyone and it's the better play for us to keep this under our hats. On top of that, they've been living with this. I mean, Clark's been living with it his whole life. Lois, Correct. presumably for at least 20 something years, they've probably been together at this point. So, but for the kids, of course, they see it differently. They're hormonal teenage boys. Imagine living with that kind of a secret. And yeah. knowing, like, imagine being Jordan and you have a girlfriend, yeah. but you can't tell her that you're half alien and that you have these abilities that sometimes flare up. And of course, she's going to take it as you're being distant and weird right. and keeping a part of you from her. But she, but meanwhile, you're doing it for her own good. But at the same time, these boys are apparently like 15 years old. We can't expect them to think big picture. We're going to, they're going to be like, dad, you lied to us for all these years and it did all this damage. Maybe lying wasn't the way to go. And maybe we don't want to grow up to be liars like you had to do. We want to be able to just live our lives, be out and proud and not have to like watch our steps all the time. And in Port Jordan's case, his relationship is now on fire because of it. You know, right. so you could kind of see on their end why they would be like, why don't why can't I just be Jonathan L here? Why do we have to keep pretending to be someone that we're not? 
And I thought that was the, you know, the, that whole element of it was very interesting. Yeah, it's great that um, like yeah, like you said like when when Superman went to this bizarre world, and we also found out that he was away for a month. <laughs> yeah, thirty three days. And he was there for like a day. Yeah, um, but it, it is. It's really great how like because normally like in, in a lesser you know a lesser show, it would just be like okay, that was just the adventure that Clark had over in the bizarre world, and that's it. And now. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. Now we're just back to like life on the farm. But the yeah. fact that that does come and actually affect the family and have some kind of an impact, um, you know, everything he does has an impact on the family. And yeah. the fact that they've been just like really consistently sticking with that has kept the show so good and interesting. So good. And allows us to have those Superman moments and those more comic booky, like you said, high fantasy type situations, but then really bring it back, um, you know, intimate. And it's it's great. They've been yeah. so good. So good with that. It's a really great angle. And we're finding out more now with John Henry Irons about like he seems to be working on like a scientific cure to this problem. He's going to try to find a way to close that portal or try to find a way right. to like make sure that whatever Allie has going on in the bizarro world, she can't bleed it over into this world. Sure. Cause I was wondering, he, he, I feel like he, him and his daughter, that whole storyline kind of went on the back burner there for a little yeah, while. They've been gone for like three, four episodes. I feel yeah. Like. I mean, they, they, they had the thing where while Superman was gone, steel had stepped in, which I liked, Right. but that whole dynamic between his daughter and how she'd been lost and basically like, in suspended animation looking for him for years and all that. Like right. they finally brought that back in a meaningful way. And it's interesting because she seems to have her own agenda. She, her own thing in mind that she's preparing while he's trying to find a way to close the portal. Right. Um, so I like, I, I, I'm really into all that. Although did you notice that they completely sidestepped our question of, so what does this mean now for Allie? Allie has done the union. We haven't seen right. a, we have, we still don't know. We did a whole episode. Yeah. They, thought, we they, did, they were like, she's super powerful now. And I was like, yeah, okay. we still don't know what that means, what that looks yeah. like, what the ramifications are. Uh, and of course, now we're heading into another hiatus. Again, if I could just pause here, I'm going to pause here. Well, they're going to pause say, also. <laughs> I'm going to pause here and just be like, to me, this feels like unprofessional. When you say that you're going to have a show and it premieres on this date and it's every Tuesday at nine, you be there every Tuesday at nine until the finale. Yeah. This weird thing where like, we're going to give you four episodes, then disappear for two weeks. Then we're going to give you three episodes and then disappear for four weeks. And then we're going to give you two. Like, to me, this just seems like strange. Like no other, yeah. I've never followed a show where there's this many breaks in the middle of the season. So it's funny though, because <laughs> like, obviously the most recent one, I remember uh, the actress who plays uh, Lois had said, you know, it was a COVID thing and mm. it has caused delays. And you know, that might be the case for this, but okay. I remember, so I was one of the first people on board when Arrow came out in the CW and the Flash. Yeah. So Arrow, I watched like probably, I don't know how many seasons that went, but I watched like a good probably like four or five seasons of that show. The Flash, I maybe watched like the first two seasons. If I'm not mistaken, they had these weird breaks and hiatuses. Oh, and that was really? way before so is this COVID. this CW thing? I think it is. And I, I, it, it used to be random. I remember like Arrow and then it would be off for like two weeks. Then it would come back for a few episodes. Then be like off for a week. And then like they would they would do stuff like that too. And like they didn't have the COVID excuse. 
So yeah. now I'm like, is it the COVID excuse or is it just like a production just thing? how like they do business somehow. Maybe I they're just like care. understaffed. They can't get the stuff done in time. I don't, I don't know. It's don't interesting. Know. But yeah, I feel like just like, you know what? Then like, don't premiere it yet until you can air all the episodes. That's what I'm saying. I would rather say, okay, we're going to delay it five weeks, but you'll get every episode in a, you know, yeah. in a weekly time. And that fashion. was episode 11. How many do we have left? So there's 15 in total. So when they come back from this next hiatus, Hopefully, we just uh, hopefully we get the final four in one strip. Although I, I wouldn't put it past them that we get two, and then there's another three week break. So, I don't right. know. But, um, but yes. So the big thing at the end, the big thing with him telling Lana. First of all, I'm glad. I'm glad they did it because it's funny. It, it, I guess it's it, it just shows that the writers what the foreshadowing they did was good and it worked on me. When he flies into Smallville after Jonathan gets visions of Jonathan L by the diner and the, and, and, and the no good that he's up to, I was very surprised that he was walking around in Clark garb. I figured since he knows Jonathan L is there on the attack, right. he's going to be in Superman mode. So when he's walking in street clothes and then bumps into Lana and then that whole awkward exchange happens. I And then he sees Jonathan L down the block, but he's too busy caught up in this weird conversation with, right. I remember thinking like, I don't know if keeping the secret was the right play here when you know that this guy is about to do this, you know? And, and on top of right. that, like you really should have come here as Superman. Why did you do this? But then it all makes sense in the end. That was all to sort of set up the fact that, yeah, he chose his secret over doing something, and look how badly that went. It's another right. thing where thematically in this episode, the weight, the burden of that secret is a big, big deal. And uh, no, so I, I just loved it. I, I, I thought, um, yeah. I thought that was handled really well. I'm trying to think of any other like standout oh, moments. We should talk out. There was a big fight between Jordan and Jonathan L. That and, uh, oh. There was a, a Jordan was getting his ass beat pretty bad, but then he finally like was like, "Who's the weaker brother now?" And then he like yeah. jacked him up real good. He punched him into the sky, and then it was a really nice shot. Was he flew up with the one arm straight up? Yeah, they had a great shot of him flying up with the one arm. And did you notice he has his own theme? Oh, I don't think I noticed that. Dude, I was if you go back and listen, the composers have given Jordan like I want to call it his Superboy theme. Yeah. He has his own little horn motif that plays when he's being all super heroic. And it makes me wonder too, like, are they trying to lead to an eventual spinoff for Jordan? You know, maybe they uh, will do a Superboy show. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, there was, yeah, that was such an amazing moment where like something just clicked and it seemed almost like his powers activated more. Like you know, he had to be under that level of duress right. and stress for like the rest of his abilities to kick in. Cause all of a sudden he was like little Superman after that. Yeah. You know what he I mean? got like real, real strong. Yeah. Uh, I like that you brought up music too. Cause I, I did actually want to call out. They didn't, you know, they have that little like um, motif that they play at the end of the episode. They did a nice version of it. When Clark revealed himself to Lana, there was like a nice, like kind of emotional, uh, version of it and yeah. I, I thought it was really really nice uh, it was really like, really nice kudos to i don't know who the composer is but good yeah. job <laughs> and you know what i got a kind of a kick out of though too you know lana and clark dated 
You know, they have history. Yeah. They, you know, at one point in it, that was his first love. They have some sort of chemistry. They have yeah. some some sort of simpatico. I love that right now. You know, it's completely platonic. I, I remember there had been some concern early on, like when the first trailers for season one came out, when it was, was still yeah. a new show. People were like, "Oh my God, are they going to play up like a love triangle thing with Clark and Lana and Lois? That's such a betrayal of the character." But meanwhile, they've played it so good. Clark, yeah. it, you never get the sense that there's any kind of romantic or sexual yeah, tension friendship. between them. It's just a friendship. But when Superman brings her back home or whatever <laughs> after the ordeal, there's a moment there where she's like, "You want to come in? You want to come in?" Yeah, <laughs> it was like. You know, because again, you know, they, there is a there's a connection there, and of yeah. course, it, you know, she would love to have Superman. She's single now, you know. The, the, yeah, she wants the, to get the, the husband super sexed up, dumpy yeah. hotel. You know, she exactly. So uh, poor cop. Yeah. So either way, I I liked uh, I, I liked that they they built on that that they have this history. She invites Superman in for a drink. He says no, and then comes back and lets her know. Just so you know, it's me. It's Clark. So don't flirt with me. Anymore. Yes. No, but <laughs> but um, you know that was heavy. That that was beautiful. If there's anything about it though, is like in the first episode, in mm -hmm. the montage that sh that recaps his life up to this point and recaps his relationship to Lois up to this point. Um, they show the moment when he reveals his truth to Lois, and it's the same move. It's I'm just going to hover in front of you ever so slightly. No, it doesn't. So it's like, I mean, that does do the job, but I was just, I guess I was just kind of hoping maybe he would find a different way to do it or whatever. But right. then again, it was still poignant and the music did it. And then that yeah. beautiful moment where like he froze the, the tree and it actually yeah. was really pretty. And it was like, it made it like a beautiful and poignant moment. Right. But I do remember thinking like, this is just what he does when, when he yeah. wants you to know his secret. He just <laughs> yeah. you know, floats up. Um, but yeah, that, that was my one thing. The slow float. Like, I guess that's just his move. That's just his move. Listen, if you want to tell someone you're Superman, like that's the easiest thing to do is like, watch me fly. Just watch me fly. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I'll I throw in so. a little frost breath. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> he's all... floating up and then he just lays it her. <laughs> wow and he's wow. like now you know although <laughs> there was one other thing in their interactions that i thought was super hilarious when he's laying on the floor and he has all these krypton uh, kryptonite shards in his chest yeah. and he's clearly in need of help and she's like super tentative she's moving yeah. really slowly he's, he's like, like really, oh, really, really take them all out he goes i'm gonna need you to go as fast as you can okay <laughs> like i just <laughs> Oh, I, just love, okay. I just love that in that moment he, he's still being gentle i don't know if yeah. i would have said it like that because i was i was shouting at my tv i'm like lana get the kryptonite out of him i would have been like get out. she's gonna out. Like, oh i'm just gonna really yeah. gently and i'm gonna save the biggest most stressful one for the last take that out first <laughs> but either way so i just thought that was funny where he like he's there he's like pretty much on the verge of death and he's like yeah. take it out faster I need yeah. you to do it. It's Come on, yeah. work with me here. Yeah, but uh, that was good. Yeah. Anyway, I just I I love this show because it humanizes Superman in a lot of ways, though too. 
Yeah. And every every step of the way, yes, he may have all of his godlike powers, but the way he's written and the way Tyler Hecklin plays him, he's he's arguably never felt more human to me in live action like this than yeah, he ever he's really, has he's really on this good. show. Yeah. So the all yeah, you know, I just the winning streak continues. Episode eleven, season two, uh Superman and Lois. Thank you to the people, Todd Helbing. Thank you to all the people who are bringing us this show because a Superman fan like me has been waiting for this for ages. And now you're going to make me wait another three weeks for episode 12. I know. <laughs> I hope they but, give us the five, like three episodes and they go, wait three more weeks. For no. like, Just to see me have a meltdown, you want them to do yeah. that probably. <laughs> but uh, I think that just about does it for episode 149 of the Fanboy Podcast. I think Brett, how can people find you over on the Twitter? Well, you can find me at SuperBreckon. Bam! On Twitter. And right you there. can find me at Superman on Film over on the Twitter. And feel free, or actually not, don't feel free. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got all our episodes up there. We've got everything broken down into smaller clips over there. That's and, right. Uh, you get to watch us be our stupid animated selves. If you're yes. tired of just listening to us, you could see us in all of our geeky enthusiasm and some yes. of the weird faces we make at each other. Sometimes. Make a lot of weird faces. <laughs> yes. But uh, as always, also, if you go ahead. Don't forget to email us. Oh, yes. That's what I was getting at. I said, as always, if you mind. ever have a question or a comment or a topic you would like to hear us hash out here on the show, please email thefanboypodcast at gmail.com. So until next week, be kind. And stay fanboy. Adios. So long.